Welcome to TV Plus Talk. I'm Chuck Joyner. And I'm Charlotte Henry. Happy 2024, Chuck. I think recording in February, we can't say Happy New Year, but it's the first time we've got to properly hang out since well, in 2024. It is, and we also did decide to take a little bit of a break because of the holidays yeah. and my attending CES, and so we're a little yes, bit have behind. you recovered? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Not a lot of sleep, but it was it was great. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, it we're a little behind on some things, but, you know, it seems like we're always behind on things because there's so much happening all the time. There is a lot to discuss. That's certainly true. So I'll let you take us uh, to where you want to start. Well, we, you and I were just discussing, like, the most popular shows. And also, there's a very distinctive thing about Apple TV Plus, right, that's always been there since the beginning, in that it only makes originals, basically, sort of peanuts aside, some peanut specials, um, which is a, was a brand new approach. None of the others do that. The others all make originals, but not only originals, and they put a va- lot of value on the content. And we were sort of mooting, you know, does this work? Does this not work? How much is the value of, of a catalog versus the originals? And you would sort of think the two things that make people sign up to a subscription service are originals and sports events, right? Exclusive originals, exclusive access to watching sport. But actually, it might that might be a bit simplistic, right? Like if you look at some of the numbers from other places, some of the deeper bits of the catalogue might be what gives a service value and is kind of Apple TV Plus missing out on that? I, I think it's an interesting question. We've talked a little bit about it in the past, especially as people were kind of getting up to speed with Apple TV and figuring it out. Um, as opposed to something like Disney that had these huge back catalogs of some super popular things. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you can only watch so many oh, – I'm going to get in trouble with somebody here. But you can only uh, watch so many Star Wars things. You can only watch so many Marvel things before you're going to say, hey, I want to go another direction. And so – Oh, send your angry emails to Chuck, please. I can't deal with it. He yeah, said it, yeah. not me. Yeah, yeah, I did, and that, that's fine. You can, you know, where to find me. Um, your, your comment about sports though is intriguing because I wonder. I know that's the way that it seems like so many of these streaming services are pushing. Apple did with uh, Lionel Messi with soccer. Um, yep, we'll come know, on the, to that. Right the the NFL is trying to. It, well, the NFL seems to be trying to hedge its bets by being everywhere on every service, mm-hmm. partially. So. You know, I, Obviously, not, in America, you get Premier League football every Saturday on Peacock. We do. That's the place to watch it. Paramount Plus for the Champions League. So th- there's that element, and you know, we'll, we'll probably you and I will have to come back to this when the NBA rights are confirmed later in the year. But we were digging around some of the numbers, like the top ten most streamed shows for the fifth of February. You found a list of those, and you know, some of it's new stuff. Of course, but some of it's like catalog things you go back. I noticed, for example, that fifth uh, on this list, this is only in America, of course, and you better tell that by the services I name, but Young Sheldon, which is obviously a long-running series, uh, is at number five Right from Hulu. You know, it's not only the wham-bang new shows, um, which I find kind of interesting. 
I, I'm I'm with you. I was surprised. Well, see, I'm I'm not surprised because I think that if we take the the Disney discussion and extrapolate it, there's a mm-hmm. desire for for comfort television as opposed yep. to something brand new all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look, I know my list of things that I want to get to is is it seems to grow faster than I can watch it. And it also crowds out my thing of, okay, I'd like to do, go and do a rewatch of this favorite series or that favorite series. Mm. So, Well, I'm doing got- that right now. I found the streaming services, now TV in the UK, where there was Will and Grace, which I hadn't watched for 15, 20 years. Um, and I've been working my way back through Will and Grace. And that's what you're saying, comfort TV. And also the idea that, now people, I think, are starting to pay attention to budgeting the money they spend on uh, streaming sure. as a, as opposed or in conjunction with the budget of time that they're spending mm-hmm. on streaming. And you know, both of those are limited, limited things we all have access to. We only have so much time. We only have so much money. So you're trying to figure out where you're getting the best value in a world that seems to be producing just a lot of really great content. Yeah, and obviously we've seen the numbers of big streaming platforms – cutting down on the amount they're going to be making, which again leads credence to your theory of the importance of the catalogue because they're kind of gambling. Well, people are not going to quit just because it's not a brand new show coming out. They'll be happy to go back through Friends, How I Met Your Mother, all of Star Trek, whatever. And, and I'd love to hear from, you know, the folks that watch and, and listen, mm. you know, how how they feel. I mean, on a percentage basis, which which is more important or, or what percentages do you put on the – my term is comfort TV, um, and and of course that also brings into question where that comfort TV series that you are looking for is being streamed. Yeah, I have to say for me, it is important that catalog factor because I'm not going to spend a monthly subscription just to watch an individual show. I care about what other value the service is bringing me, right? And so for me, this is only anecdotal, you know, evidence of one. But I think for me, it's really important that you have, as well as good originals, the catalogue that, you know, backs that up. Um, and, and I wonder if Apple TV, I guess where we're going with this conversation is, is Apple TV missing a trick here? Having a better, the whole house on big name originals, is it missing a trick by not scooping up some of the catalogs as well. Or uh, are they building a back catalog that is now becoming adequate? Because I know on my, on my to watch list are a number of things that are not necessarily current. Now they're not five, six, seven, ten years old, but they, I just haven't gotten to them yet and I want to get to them. So, you know, when does something become non-current? When does it become categorized as a back catalog show? I want to still see it regardless of what you call it. And so is that that delivering enough value for me for Apple TV Plus? It is. Yeah, Apple TV. It is for me. Yeah, and I get that. And probably, you know, there's enough good stuff on there that I I agree that I'm happy to, you know, as part of a broader – as it happens for me, a subscription package, I'm happy to keep it. And I would always want to keep TV plus, but I think, you know, just conversations I have be interesting to see if there's any data to back this up. I think for lots of people, they might do a, Oh, the Ted Lasso one is the obvious example. 
right, I can binge watch Ted Lasso and then I won't keep TV Plus anymore. Now, I'm inclined to agree with you that that means there's some things they'll be missing out on that are pretty good. But I think Apple TV Plus is the service in particular that suffers from that, even if it's just because of the perception that there's not much on there. That's an interesting. The perception statement is very interesting mm. because you're. I, I you're wonder right. again. We can't. You and I are sort of pontificating on this, but we can't really back it up with evidence. But I'd be amazed if in Cupertino and sort of the TV Plus offshoots in Los Angeles and so on, people are not thinking about this. I think they have to be. I mean, there there have been a, several articles since we last got together about the churn. In, right. uh, in streaming services. And so that to me is a symptom of the economy, but it's also a symptom of just people stepping back, whether it's through a New Year's resolution or not, um, and saying, oh, you know, I've got a pretty significant portion of my budget here going to entertainment. Am I really using it? Or could I do without it for a few months? Or could I move around every few months and be just as happy, if not happier? Yeah, and I've certainly seen some data and researching different things that younger viewers are more than happy to chop and change. That seems to be the demographic that is particularly comfortable doing that. Um, should that be a surprise to any of us? Pro- probably not, but it was interesting to see. I can't remember where the numbers were, but I think if you look into it, that is the grouping that is most comfortable going, oh, I want to watch Netflix this month. Okay, Stranger Things is finished. So I'm going to go back to Disney Plus, blah, 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 blah. And and I again, again, we're talking perception. My perception, though, is that the younger generation is watching more on mobile devices Presumably. as opposed to doing the, the lean back thing, you know, in the living room or den or wherever. Um Presumably, that's a certain point. That's true. I, you know, I think uh, I wonder if the teens are watching TikTok, not TV, is slightly overstated, but it's probably not overstated by much. TikTok or YouTube? YouTube, of course. Yeah. You know, I hear I hear a lot of people talking about not and and interestingly, I hear that demographic shifting too. That a lot of uh, not younger people <laughs> trying to find. You a mean way to oldies say it. like me? Well, no, I, was, I did not say that, Charlotte. Um, you know, that the, they're spending more time on YouTube because they're finding content that they want to watch. Sure. And it may not be the traditional. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, this want. might be taking us on a sidetrack, but I think this has certainly been the case for me. I think a lot of the city watching YouTube instead of TV is because YouTube is now on the TV. I'm much more likely to settle down to a longer YouTube video because I have the YouTube app on a smart TV. As I am, I'm like very unlikely to sit for half an hour watching a YouTube video on my phone and even maybe a computer or a laptop. But I'm very likely to do that on a smart TV with the YouTube app. Which is probably not a big surprise given that the way that you access all your other streaming content is through apps. So sure. You, I, and again, I, I, wonder if, um, I wonder if those younger than me are, think of it in the same terms. Well, at the end of the day, we're all becoming, what, no matter what the age group, we're all becoming more comfortable with saying, I need, I'm looking for this content, therefore I'm going to go to this app. Sure. Sure. Let, I think let's, we should head back just to this idea of 
what is the most, you know, where Apple fits into this with its decision to only do originals. Because I think for us and our views, that's the most interesting thing. And it's certainly the thing that I often ponder when I'm sort of writing about this and talking about this. And I don't know. There's the advantage factor to Apple in that it makes it unique, right? You want to watch one of these shows. You know where it is anywhere in the world. You know what you need to watch it. And that's it. It's completely associated with Apple. It's their content. You can watch it wherever you are in the world. There's no, oh, my goodness, I can watch this. This is on Peacock in the US and it's on the U- Now TV in the UK and it's here and it's there. Like, it's very straightforward. And people know that only things on... I don't know how many... Maybe I'm overestimating how much people have taken this all in. But people know there are certain shows that are only on Apple. Let's put it that way. They might not know the deep strategic decision to only do originals. But like they're like, this is an Apple show. I can watch it on Apple. Um, and that's obviously the same for originals on other platforms. Like Netflix makes a show, it's only on Netflix. But that's not true of an extended catalogue. Apple has completely eliminated discussion about an extended catalogue and that fiddling around where you have to watch it. So that goes in the pro corner, on the pro list, I would say. Obviously, in the cons list is the amount of stuff on Apple TV+, Plus is significantly smaller than on any comparable service. You know, even Paramount Plus, which people sort of think of as the odd man of this streaming war, um, has a huge amount of stuff that's, you know, there. The I mean, it has the entirety of Star Trek. That's a huge amount of stuff just to start with, and there's loads of other things there. Um. And that brings a lot of value to a significant number of people, right? And Apple doesn't win that battle. It can't win that battle. It's chosen not to engage in it. Which is an interesting choice, and I agree with you. As as much of a Star Trek fan as I am, even I, there's only so much Star Trek I can watch by before I say, you know, oh. I want to go and cleanse my palate with something else. <gasps> This is um, shocking. Yeah. I, well, I know it is. I know it is. And the good thing is that with Star Trek, there are so many, you know, different series and there's so much content. But you can say the same to maybe a little bit lesser degree or maybe not um, with Star Wars, with with um, uh, the Marvel stuff. You know, so, I, I, I mean, you're right. It's It's a strategic decision. One of the problems I see with so many of these services is uh, that – First of all, they've got to gather up a heck of a back catalog to give me a, the selection that that I might want. And Apple, you know, yeah. and I, and and what I mean by that is, with all due respect to your tastes, I really don't care about Will and Grace. So right. if if Apple TV spent money on buying the Will and Grace back catalog, it's wasted on me. It's of zero advantage to you, right? So the idea that. We're, we're, we, Apple, Apple is only investing in original content. They're controlling the content. They're controlling the quality. They're controlling what ends up on their platform and in their catalog. Well, first of all, it's so very Apple, you know, that whole control thing. But it also it is sense. not not a bad thing necessarily, I don't think, as long as they are delivering quality content. Yes. Well, I mean, to flip the conversation all the way back to the beginning, they're doing the two things that we said are the things that we you would one would assume would draw in new subscribers. Originals, 
exclusive originals and live sport. Um, and that brings us very nicely to our next story, which, of course, is Lionel Messi. Uh, Apple has announced that Messi's World Cup, The Rise of a Legend, uh, will premiere on the 21st of February 2024, so a couple of weeks after we record this. Now, this, of course, is the story of how Messi led Argentina to win the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Um, it was sort of... I mean, I could, we could go into the whole football of it. Basically, the whole of Argentina's... It became all about him, this tournament. So it's not surprising that there is a documentary on it. And it isn't surprising that Apple's doing this documentary because, of course, Messi has now become so entrenched with its coverage of um, the MLS, of Major League Soccer. You know, we've we've discussed before how he's... Messi's getting a cut of Apple TV Plus season past subscriptions. That's how embedded he is in this and how I really think it changed the game. Apple took a big risk buying MLS rights for a decade. And then suddenly the biggest football star in the world turned up. And it rather helped them, I think. So I'm not surprised that they're cashing in on all of this. So get you know, it's an original and it's linked to their exclusive coverage of sport. I think we know the formula, right? Well, you say it's a big. It was a big risk. I don't know how big a risk it was. That I a mean, decade-long deal. Well, it's a commitment in money, but you know that also means it's that it has a guaranteed audience for a decade. That if you are a well, you have to in, pay extra for it. Right. I but, I think it very much goes in the risk category, given that MLS is not hugely popular around the world given that they put a huge amount of money into it and a huge amount of time, I think it definitely comes into the risk category. But you also have the most popular star that, as unless something really unforeseen Yeah, but happens, they didn't know that when they did the deal. They didn't know that Messi was coming when they signed for a decade. He was still at Paris Saint-Germain at that point. Do, do we really know that? Yeah, I th- th- you think? he was not signed up in L.A., at the point, uh, do I mean LA? He was not signed up in the MLS at the point that deal was done. And everyone was a bit like, this is a huge, huge gamble. I mean, who knows who said what, what agent said what. I, I take your point. But basically, I think with the Saudi money splashing around as well, he easily could have gone there, Messi. And it was it, it was a huge risk that Apple did. And they've won. Like they've done, they've got the most, one of the most iconic players of all time. And the only place you can watch him now is on Apple TV. Like that is by any definition a win for however many years, probably only be a couple that Messi stays doing that. And then it will, you know, from the sporting side, you see what happens with the league and what happens with how that football in that country progresses. But in terms of, well, it's kind of quite a Netflix strategy, isn't it? It's got the IP, i.e. the football, it's got MLS, and now it's building stuff out of that, you know, a new documentary. And why wouldn't you leverage the resources and assets, frankly, that you've already paid for? You know, so invest just a little more and expand it out. What I find especially interesting, though, is all this happened before – 
my perception is that it happened before a lot of the splintering that has happened with professional sports running to different streaming platforms. Mm. And it so was Apple ahead of the game? Did they just get lucky? Was it strategic? I I, I don't know. I mean, we we both have seen reports that Apple was at the table for a lot of the the major sports network mm. negotiations, and in some cases they went other. Well, in a lot of cases they went other places. Sometimes with what appears to be no logic at all, except the fact that it was going to the highest bidder. So, you know, Apple may be in an interesting position to sit back. They've they've kind of got their crown jewel. Now everybody else is fighting over a bunch of the other jewels. Mm. What's going to happen in 6, 12, 18 months? Well, one thing that we have is we'll know where you can watch the NBA, and it will certainly be at least some of it on a streaming service. So that will be one of the things that happens in six, 12 months. Um, the the other thing, uh, to the back to our sort of wider strategic discussion, is Apple got involved in live sport very, very early in its life. Think how long it took Amazon and Prime Video to get start broadcasting live sport. Netflix has barely scratched the surface of doing it. It's done this now whopping deal with WWE. But that's the first thing it's done, basically. Um, and then you've got Paramount Plus in the US, Stream Soccer, P- Peacock does now. But for a brand new service from a company that didn't do media before, essentially, it went in very early with the Friday Night Baseball and then MLS. It is, I think I'm surprised how bold Apple has been in getting involved in live sport, actually. And I guess when you see things like Lionel Messi turn up, it sort of proves the point, right? It pays out for them. Well, not just that, but again, to go back to the earliest part of this discussion, they didn't have to pay for a back catalog. Yeah, that's interesting. Is this where the money's gone? That's a very yeah. interesting point. I mean, they, they have, again, very Apple-like. They aren't looking back. They're looking at the, the picture in front of them and what's ahead. And so their deals have been for current content and future content, not legacy content that may or may not appeal to you, me, or anyone else listening to this. Yeah. Again, there is always an element of risk there because if you quickly browse Apple TV Plus and you're like, oh, I don't care about this show, this show, this show, and there's nothing nothing else there, quote unquote, you might give up with it. But, you know, four, five years into the process, there is a decent chunk of stuff there. There is, you know, there's not zero anymore. Charlotte, I think one of the biggest challenges for everybody, um, and I'm just pulling up something we had talked about earlier, mm. uh, one of the biggest challenges is just discoverability and awareness yeah. of shows. I think Apple and, hasn't done a good job on that. Well, I'm not sure anyone has. Because if you look at uh, one of the things that you sent and we'll put in the show notes, uh, the most popular English TV on Netflix, um, I lost it. Number six for January 28th was something called The Night Agent. And that seemed, right. to, surprise, that seemed to surprise everybody because it was nobody really heard that much about it, if anything. Right. And more to the point, The Night Agent was the most popular show uh, for the first six months of 2023. Netflix revealed that towards the end, and everyone was like, oh, where did that come from? 
No. Now, perhaps less surprising, it was Wednesday that sort of cleaned everything is the most currently watched. As of January the 28th, Wednesday season one is the most watched English language thing on Netflix. But there's stuff that sneaks in there, as you said, that people are surprised by. Again, I think Apple is the least good at discoverability. There is stuff, really good stuff, hidden in TV Plus that I assume I don't know and lots of other people don't know. I, I would agree with that, and I don't know how any of them, um, because Netflix Netflix has the ability to push things, you know, to say, well, if you like this, then if you watch this, maybe you'll like this, or mm-hmm. if you if you buy that, that's the algorithm they're using, and they're really trying to feed you something you like, as opposed to something they they want you to watch because they've invested in it. You know, and maybe can, the reality is a bit of both. Well, I I kind of agree with that because you know if I've if I've invested the money, I'm going to try to get get you to watch it. So, sure. uh, Apple TV does that, but I feel like it's in a lot more subtle way. And 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 that's only if you're in the Apple TV Plus ecosystem. Of course. Um, let's go back to to some messy mania because I find it interesting that Apple has gone so big. O- on this just i just cannot see that this was as planned as it might look it's worked out very very well but i i find it amazing that they could have foreseen this the other thing i would say is it will be interesting to see how this compares to other similar documentaries now netflix is very good at this stuff you know, it's done all the, you know, Drive to Survive, Full Swing. There's a NASCAR one. There's also the David Beckham four-part documentary, which is good. And all that, did, you know, created a buzz, did pretty well. I mean, the David Beckham one created a great meme. But I I wonder if Apple is going to be able to compete on this level. And are they going to advertise it? Are people going to know if you want to watch about a great about Lionel Messi being great in a great tournament – Apple TV Plus is the place to do it. Are we going to actually learn that? Do you really think, and, and the night agent may defeat this, but <laughs> do you do you really think that if I'm interested in in football in your, your country, soccer yeah. in my country, that I'm not going to hear about this through all my other channels of interest? I mean, I sort know. of. So, sort of like Star Trek, you know. That's that's we keep going back to that. But you know, how many people how many people appreciated that Picard came out? If you were in the Star Trek universe of, and, and, and world, and you were a fan, of course you knew about it right away. But the rest of the world, eh, maybe not quite so much, or it it didn't mean anything to them if they didn't know the character. So you know, I'm I'm wondering if that's how Apple was relying on some of some of the publicity for some of the sports related things, leaving aside the the original productions, but the sports the sports stuff sort of feeds on itself and has its own publicity machine that is yeah third party. to a point. I always think Apple TV Plus kind of and again not through the lack of quality content always seems to be at the back of that conversation. But we'll see. Uh, uh, we'll, what, I'm going to definitely watch this. We'll come back and chat about it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, another show I'm really excited, and this one, I don't think this means anything to you, but I'm excited about it because Noel Fielding is coming to Apple TV+. And I love The Mighty Boosh. A million years ago when I watched it at university, I adored The Mighty Boosh. Um, and he's 
returning for a comedy called The Completely Made Up Adventures of Dick Turpin. Uh, the still we have from the TV Plus release from Apple looks very, very Noel Fielding is all I can say. Um, he's going to be with Hugh Bonneville and this is coming out on the 1st of March 2024 so not so long after we caught this and again we'll have a little look into that I have to say I find this a really interesting choice right because the Mighty Boosh and Noel Fielding in particular kind of brand of comedy in particular I assume never made it to you in the US right I, I'm completely in the dark on this one so, yeah. right exactly and his style of comedy, I think, is a very sort of that eccentric British brand of comedy. And I think it's quite an interesting thing for TV Plus and Apple to have taken a punt on someone like that. But anyway, I, I'm looking forward to it. The blurb says, in the completely made-up adventures of Dick Turpin, Dick Turpin, played by Noel Fielding, sets out on a journey of wildly absurd escapades when he's made the reluctant leader of a band of outlaws and tasked with outwitting corrupt lawman and self-appointed thief-taker Jonathan Wilde. That's Hugh Bonneville. Yeah, it's, I'm fascinated by this. It's, I could have seen it coming to a UK streaming service. I'm in tr- And interestingly, it is part, is produced, Apple TV Plus, I should say, produces alongside Big Talk Studios, which is part of ITV, ITV Studios. So there is that extra British production connection. But anyway... I will be looking forward to watching this one and confusing you further. I'm going to make you watch it and see if you can get your head around Noel Fielding. I'm expecting a text within about 10 minutes of you watching this being like, Charlotte, I don't get it. What's yeah. I, listen, I, I've, I've tried to appreciate uh, British humor. You have a different sense of humor, and sometimes I get it. Most of the time I don't. And so. this is particularly essential. Depending on how much he's sort of involved and whatever it is a particularly eccentric brand of comedy i'll I'll try and find you the mighty boosh as well for a place you can watch it in the u.s but isn't it interesting that we we go back to the mls and to Mm -hmm. messi and to apple seems to be not necessarily trying to do that shotgun approach that we're going to try to appeal to everybody they're doing they do different pieces that appeal to different very targeted or more targeted audiences and I think that's mm-hmm. that's also part of their strategy that, you know, yeah, we're, we're going – we want to have a must-watch show for the UK and, and, and for Europe. Or weirdos As, like the Mighty Boosh, yeah, sure. Well, okay, yeah. Well, it depends on how targeted you want to consider the audience. Um, they have a very targeted audience for Friday Night Baseball. They have a very targeted mm-hmm. audience for – you know, just – I mean, run through the whole thing. They got incredibly lucky – with uh, with Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. you know that 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 really hit a note with so many people that I'm not sure without the pandemic it might have. On the other hand, maybe what do I know? Maybe that maybe it would have. Oh, I think it had. I've said this plenty of times. I think it had a huge effect on how it was originally perceived. Anyway, yeah, and so you know. Maybe they've gotten dumb lucky in just a couple places and, and with the timing of things, or maybe there's a grander strategy that we can't quite wrap our, fing- our heads around right at the moment. Yeah, I also think some really good stuff has got lost. So I think both Mythic Quest and Shrinking are better 30-minute comedies than Ted Lasso, particularly by the end. Mm. And yet... 
they got nowhere near the mainstream attention that Ted Lasso did. I feel like they were different kinds of comedies. They were both yeah. excellent, but they were different. Yeah, I thought they were – they had a bit more to – anyway, I probably preferred both of them by the end to Ted Lasso. Again, one season, three seasons, it's not a direct comparison, but you understand the point I'm making. I think they did not get the wide recognition that those two shows deserved, and they're great shows. I mean, one of them has Harrison Ford in it, for goodness sake. Like, <laughs> what what PR machine do you need to get people watching Harrison Ford being in a comedy? Anyway, yeah. I also think some of the, you know, Red Notice is a quite fun, silly action movie. People are always going to watch things with Gal Gadot and The Rock in it, right? Netflix yeah. has that as a, it's a basic guaranteed win, right? It's a silly action comedy with stupidly good looking people in it. Like, you've won. But Tetris on Apple TV+, Plus, a very different kind of movie, but a really, really excellent movie that sort of came out, did, o- did okay, and I thought it was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. But it sort of disappeared in the ether, didn't it? Is that where Apple is failing? Well... Are we? Do we feel it failed because we felt it was such a great movie because it's something we could relate to that maybe a lot of non-gamers, non-tech people, you know, they're more into the rom-coms and, you know, those Sure, kind of and, and there's a point to that, but I, I didn't see lots of buzz around it and it was a very good movie. Or, I mean, the interesting thing, the real taste test for this is going to be Killers of the Flower Moon, which I see is going back into theatres. I saw Apple announce that. So that's interesting. And, you know, what does it get in during award season? You know, so on and so forth. I mean, you've got Leonard, like You couldn't have bigger stars in that movie, could you? Right. <laughs> DiCaprio, De Niro, directed by Scorsese. Like, if you can't make that work, <laughs> you know... That's a lot. Yeah, I, I don't really know where you go from that. But they, yeah, it's obviously it is nominated for best picture, which is a huge moment again for Apple, having already cleaned that out uh, with Coda, which is also kind of interesting because Coda didn't get that much buzz, and then it won the Oscar. People liked it. People thought it was a great movie, but it wasn't as hyped as other things, right? Or am I misremembering? No, I don't think you're misremembering. But I also think, and this harks back to a conversation we had before about – you follow this a lot more than I do. I I just couldn't care less about what the – if a film sure. was, a, was an award winner, I'm not going to necessarily go to the theater or stream it or rent it or whatever. In fact, if anything, it's always sort of a disincentive for me because I feel like it's not going to be something that is entertaining – it, it may, no, I, I totally get that. The, the yeah. awards are not the be all and end or by any stretch of the imagination, but they are, you know, I thought Barbie was a great movie and it's not done anywhere in the Oscars nominations. I loved it. But, uh, you know, they are not the be all and end all awards. You're absolutely right. But they are a bit of a marker. So oh, I think there's two things, right? Huge achievement for Killers of the Flower Moon to have got 10 Academy Award nominations, huge. We, and we should spend a minute focusing on that because, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. Apple put money into this movie for years. And, I mean, you and I would not like to see the bill for this movie. And so part of the payoff for that is getting big award nominations. That matters. And and that that's what makes, I think, the whole 
television industry, entertainment industry so fascinating is there's so many different ways to look at look at it. There's there's the award, there's the excellence in acting, there's the box office draw, there's just the uh, the viral nature of some things, there's the deep fandom in certain areas mm-hmm. that it's it's a pretty unique industry and I that's one reason I think I enjoy talking about it with you because you you have perspectives on it I don't. Hopefully I can bring up a couple that you haven't thought about and we can entertain and inform some folks out there. Uh, well, I do hope so. And obviously always leave comments for us and drop us a line. The kind of things you're interested in talking about, if there's a show you think we've missed and we should talk about, we'd love to hear that. Just to wrap up the Killers of the Flower Moon conversation, as I said, 10 Academy Awards, and this is not, you know, these are the big top-end awards that it's nominated for. Best Picture, Best Director for Scorsese, Best Supporting Actor for De Niro, Best Costume Designer, Best Production Design, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Actress for Lily Gladstone. Like, that's a big deal. That That is. With that many in one film, absolutely. And in those categories, like, that's serious business. Absolutely. Anyway, we'll see how that goes. No doubt we'll have a full red carpet analysis from Chuck Joyner when we uh, we come back next month. Uh, don't hold your breath, folks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlotte, before we wrap up, though, there's, there are three words I need to say to you and see what your reaction is. Oh, no. Apple Vision Pro. Yes, we did. We managed to go a whole chunk of the show without discussing it. Um, I reiterate the point I've made on various other shows, which is that if I had three and a half grand, first of all, I obviously cannot get an Apple Vision Pro. I can't even go for a demo because it's only in the US. That aside, if I had three and a half grand to spend on tech, that's not what I would spend it on. Would I love to have a go? Yeah, absolutely. I'd really love to see how it works. And I suspect I'd be thoroughly impressed. But it is not what I would spend three and a half grand on. That's actually not where I was expecting you to go with it. I was expecting you to comment on the the, and I have not. I don't have one. I don't plan to get one in the short term, and I have not gone for a demo yet. But the immersive quality, the mm. the things we're hearing about the the essential essentially hundred foot screen that's in front of you for the video experience. Do you think this is going to translate into Apple TV Plus? And do you think it's going to make a difference? Oh, I assume eventually we're going to see all sorts of content. Well, there's already Disney Plus built into it, right? Which is a you know fascinating, very big deal. Um, I there is no way that Apple is not creating content that is enhanced, not enhanced, but you know by wearing the Vision Pro, they're going to do that, aren't they? It's going to be. Some content is going to be designed for those people that wear it. There's going to be all sorts of things that I'm sure watching it is an amazing experience. I don't know. I would settle down. I discussed all this with Jeff Gamut on the edition podcast as well. We did a show on it. Uh, and I said there, and I nothing has changed my opinion from all the video and demos I've seen. I find the idea that I would settle down to a movie with that on really unlikely. Would I enjoy watching bits of videos on it watch a 10 minute youtube video even watch a quick show maybe and i'm sure it is an incredible immersive experience i really don't doubt it some of the stuff i'm seeing people do with it 
it, like it's seriously impressive. But that I just don't find that can't imagine it to be a relaxing, comforting way to watch TV. I might be wrong. I might try one at some point and be utterly blown away. But when I'm watching TV, I'm not thinking, oh my god, what I need is to be wearing a set of goggles and a huge screen right in front of my face. It's not how I'm thinking when I'm watching content. I may be proved wrong. Okay, what about so, you? <clears throat> well, you know me. I'm going to play devil's advocate and ask you this. How many times? Well, I want to know. You- would you sit and watch? Would you want to sit and watch a two hour, two hour plus movie with a Vision Pro on your face? I, I don't know. But I think, I think one of the key questions is do you go to the theater and watch a movie? Sometimes. Okay, so no, if you go to the if you go to theater if if you go to the theater and watch a movie, that's what you're doing. You're immersing yourself completely. And here you are. I'm immersing myself completely in what appears to be from all the well, from some of the reports anyway, of a much more immersive experience. A much a much higher quality experience. Again, I don't doubt that. And I while I'm fascinated to know when immersive becomes claustrophobic, I'm fascinated to is there a point where you forget you've got something on your head and it becomes is it comfortable enough for that to happen you know when i'm chilling out the cinema or my watching my tv i'm not worrying about something on my do you know what i mean there's nothing physically on my face i can and i wonder how that affects experience it's very hard for me to judge having not had a been able to try one yet you know i can see a world in which I would do, say, a Zoom meeting. And I'd be happy to be in that and I can see the productivity features that people are advocating. I still don't see how sitting for watching a two-hour movie is a comfortable experience. I'm prepared to be proved wrong, but that's sort of where I am at the moment. As I say, if I had three and a half grand to spend on AV tech, I would spend it differently than a Vision Pro. Well, and as we record this, so folks have a frame of reference, <clears throat> pardon me, we are about, what, three days, I guess, post the delivery days, of, yeah. of the first yeah, of the first Apple Vision Pros. So we are talking a little bit through our hat, trying mm. to figure out, you know, what where this fits in the world of Apple TV and, and entertainment in general. But yeah, I, I think it's, there are a lot of questions to be asked and a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, I'm looking but would, would you sit and watch a movie or a TV show with one on? Charlotte, is a, that's an interesting question. I think I would if the content were something that I would typically go to the theater for. You know, I'm, if there's a great movie that you want to watch, Apple makes a great movie, Tetris, Kids of the Flaming, whatever, the content is by definition something that you want to watch. Would you be like, oh, I'm really excited to watch this and I think it will look great on the Vision Pro even though it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie? Yeah. I, I, Not having seen it, I've, I'm not sure because I've, like you, I, I probably tend to dip in and out of things even though I'm, I'm supposed to be watching something intently. There aren't that many movies anymore that really capture you know, that kind of intent experience and therefore I don't go to the theater as much as I used to. Mm. Because I just don't see the content that's there when it's when it's something that I want to see on a big screen, yeah. And I and that's those are, that's the kind of content I can see me wanting to put a Vision Pro on for. So that's another fact. It will be really interesting. And I 
reiterate the point I made at the start of this conversation that I have zero doubt that Apple is going to create some very specific, very high quality content for the Vision Pro or have a movie and then be like, if you watch it in a Vision Pro, you get this feature. I'm sure that will happen and in the not too distant future. Yeah. Stay tuned, folks. We'll see what happens. And if you want to send us a couple of Vision Pros to test out, we're very happy for you to spend seven grand on us. Yeah, that's no problem at all. You even get a thank you note. Oh, yeah. Handwritten. Handwritten. Signed in blood, maybe. (laughs) Oof. Jeez. (laughs) Well, until then, where can people people keep up with you? Well, they can keep up with me at macvoices.com. That's where you can see uh, all the CES interviews we shot in uh, January Mm, in Las Vegas and a whole lot more. Um, And on all the socials, major and minor, you can find me as at Chuck Joyner. Charlotte, how about you? I'm at – yeah, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry across the socials and head over to theedition.net for blogging, newsletters, other podcasts, and all that kind of thing. Uh, that's the award-winning edition. No, well, absolutely. You know, one doesn't like to brag. No, you're not. I'm telling, just telling. Charlotte, thanks so much. Yeah. See you guys next month. Thanks for watching.